Ephesians chapter 3, but as you turn there, I want to give you some background. Uh, I have found uh, over the years that uh, as I try to understand more about the background of, uh, of what was written and why it was written and the circumstances in which it was written, that it, uh, that it enriches me, it, it uh, helps me to have a greater understanding of what the scriptures are saying and what the message is that's being conveyed. Now, you know, uh, words are what we use to communicate. Now, of course, they'll tell you that, uh, that your oral communication is, uh, is not as, uh, as important or uh, as loud, if you will, as your nonverbal uh, communication, right? Your body language says a whole lot as well. Uh, but we have here the written Word of God. We have, of course, uh, the Word of God who was in the beginning with God and was made flesh to dwell among us. We know Him as Jesus Christ. And so uh, we have that Word. Uh, all of this is, uh, you know, words are just used to communicate, to communicate ideas and concepts and thoughts uh, in, uh, in the case of Scripture, to communicate doctrines as well. And all of this is about what God wants us to understand as we go through our lives here on this earth. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a great research book as well, no doubt about it. And there are a lot of uh, theologists, uh, uh, both real and so-called. There are a lot of uh, classes that can be taken uh, to really break down uh, uh, the, the, uh, the scriptures and such. But never lose sight. And that's all great. I, 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 I do that as well. I want to break down and understand uh, the, the scriptures in that way. But never, ever lose sight that really the purpose of this uh, Bible that we have is God's communication to us uh, about concepts, about doctrines, about the way things are overall. And so uh, as we break down and, uh, uh, the, the scriptures and, and try to understand the, uh, the, the jots and the tittles and such, we have to always remember uh, that scripture where Jesus uh, was talking about some folk and he said, they strained over a net and swallowed a camel. You remember that scripture? They strained over a net and swallowed a camel. And uh, just, uh, okay. Uh, I know what time I'm supposed to stop today, this morning. So, uh, so just to give you a little background on that, the, the, the Jews, you know, would, uh, they thought of a lot of things as, as unclean, including gnats. Uh, you know, you, hopefully you never yawned and got a fly in your mouth because then you had to go repent. Uh, it wasn't your fault the fly flew in your mouth, but, you know, you had to repent anyway. They would strain the wine several times through various different filters and such, trying to get out the smallest particles uh, because of what they might, what might be unclean. And Jesus was telling them, you'll do all that, you'll go through all that trouble, right? But then uh, the big things you get wrong. And so uh, we need to make sure that we don't strain over gnats and swallow camels, that is, to, to, to uh, pay attention to the little jots and tittles to the point that we miss the overall message. And so uh, we've got to understand that what God is communicating to us. 
And to understand that, of course, we have to understand uh, kind of broadly uh, the entirety of the scripture. And, and you know that uh, in the Old Testament we are taught. And by the way, uh, that, uh, one of, that what I said last night was such a blessing to me. I hope it was to you too about, uh, about how the, the Old Testament is, is one era and the new church age testament is a second era and we're waiting on the third era to come in right and i hope that blessed you as much as it did me and uh, i will tell you i will admit to you that uh, that didn't come to me until right at that moment in the sermon i'd never thought of that before and it came to me right at that moment in the sermon and so i was blessed by it as well i think it's true it rings true with me and i hope it does with you as well uh old testament uh, this this first era, we we see where, of course, God created the heavens and the earth, created everything and such. Uh, you know, time goes along. We have the flood, etc. And then God uh, chooses Abram, right? We later know him as Abraham uh, and uh, Isaac, and then Jacob. Uh, you know, the the Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. Jacob then becomes Israel. And God has chosen Israel, and he says, you're going to be the, uh, the father of many nations, right? And the promises are upon you, and uh, from there uh, we go on uh, and, and we, we get uh, uh, the, the priesthood, you know, with, with Moses and, 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 uh, and Aaron, and we, we get the priesthood, and God gives unto the Israelites uh, the Ten Commandments, the oracles uh, there of God, gives that unto them. He, he chooses Israel, right? And he, he uh, out of all the nations of the earth, and the scripture says this, uh, uh, out of all the nations, God didn't choose any of them except Israel. And Israel, remember, he didn't choose you because you were the biggest or the strongest or the prettiest or the smartest or what have you, but he chose you just because he chose to choose you. And uh, it was of, of his own uh, will. And, uh, and so uh, we see all of that. And we see the, the temple and all of the sacrifices and everything that goes into that. And we remember that all of that in the, in the first era, uh, the, the, that, new, that Old Testament era, were types and shadows. And that is, uh, they, they represented to us in kind of physical, natural form what God has for us in spiritual form, right? So the temple, the temple was a building. You could go into it, it, it you know, you, you, could, you could touch it and see it and such. Uh, and, and then God later comes on in the second era, the New Testament era, and, and says that temple was just uh, a symbolic of you, the temple of God. And then we then are symbolic ourselves of that ultimate temple which re, which is in heaven which will be in that third era right and so it's all symbolic as well you've got the sacrifice uh that uh, sacrifices that were made in the old testament all of those are just representative of uh the sacrifice that jesus christ made upon the cross uh, and the sacrifice that he made for us uh and and so uh it, we we see that as well well <clears throat> Uh, I want to focus just on the, the choosing of Israel. And natural Israel, the nation of Israel, is just symbolic. It's a type and shadow of, as we know today in this New Testament era, it's just a type and shadow of all of God's people whom God has chosen 
from before the foundation of the world. The elect, as we call them, right? The elect, those whom God has chosen. <clears throat> well, over time, uh, the Israelites and the Jews uh, and, and the Jewish laws and regulations related to their religion uh, uh, got to be fairly strict. And that's why we come up to the time of the Pharisees is that strictness of, of their law. And, of course, they are very much in tune by, by the time that Jesus comes the first time. They're much in tune with, hey, this is this nation of Israel. We, the Israelites, are the chosen ones of God and nobody else has been chosen. And they have ignored or not understood portions of the Old Testament where God says, it's it's going to others are going to be brought in, right? They, they've they've gone past that. So we get up to this New Testament era, and uh, Jesus he he uh, he preaches to the Jews and teaches the Jews. But then uh, there comes a point in time when he says we're going to go through Samaria. Now Samaria was filled with uh, Samaritans, of course which uh, were a, a, a mixed race of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, and so Jesus then kind of plants the seed that, hey, uh, it's not just the purebred Jews, it's also the Samaritans. And then later on, he also gives indications about it moving, the, this message moving to the Gentiles as well. But right after Jesus ascends to heaven, and we we're left with the apostles who are going around proclaiming uh, Jesus Christ, right? As we talked about last night, the apostle Paul pro- proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified, uh, and they're going throughout the, uh, uh, the 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 then known world, if you will, uh, but particularly around Jerusalem and and uh, and expanding from there uh, a certain amount, and they're primarily dealing still with Jews. Right after Jesus ascends, and this is the background that I wanted to get to, right after Jesus ascends, this message of the Messiah Jesus is is a message that is still being presented to the Jews and not yet to the Gentiles. And we saw last night where the Apostle Paul, when he goes to Corinth, and he preaches there at Corinth, and he's there persuading them in the synagogue at Corinth, that, uh, that he is pressed in the spirit and, uh, and is moved to proclaim, uh, you know, very uh, forcefully and in the power and demonstration of the spirit that Jesus is the Christ. And yet, uh, many of the Jews uh, still rejected that message. And we saw that they opposed themselves. They were, they were pushing back from it themselves. And, and even to the point of blaspheming, they rejected it. And you remember that Paul said, I'm shaking the dust off my clothing. And I'm going, you know, as I said last night, forget you guys. I'm going to the Gentiles. Right? And so Paul, at that point, he starts to shift his ministry... From, from, from the Jewish focus to the Gentile focus. And that's why Paul is commonly known as the apostle of the Gentiles is because he shifted his focus in that way. 
Well, here in the book of Ephesians, uh, that message is brought home as he writes this letter to the church uh, at Ephesus. Now, you know, again, nowadays we think of, of the church and we think of folks like us. And I don't know if you've done the, the DNA testing or what have you to figure out if you have any Jewish ancestry. I haven't done that. Uh, but uh, I, I would say that there's pretty good chance I have zero Jewish ancestry, right? And uh, I don't know about you, but most I would say that most of you, uh, if you have any Jewish ancestry at all, it would be very little Jewish ancestry. And so we think of the church in this way. We think of it in terms of, uh, of uh, us not, you know, kind of opposite or not opposite, but uh, separate from the Jews. And it's interesting to me that um, in today's world, you know, as, as Jesus came in, we switched from Old Testament to New Testament era, uh, that the Jews were the ones excluding the Gentiles. And nowadays, it's more likely the Gentiles will exclude the Jews. And, uh, and of course, we know, uh, as Primitive Baptists, we know that God has a people from every nation, kindred, and tongue, and, and uh, it could be that they are uh, 100% Gentiles, 100% Jews, or some mixture therein, or whatever you may say, we know that there, there is a mixture here. But at this time that the letter to the church at Ephesus was written, um, there was still that tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, and particularly the Jews wanting to hang on to all of the Old Testament stuff and to not move into the New Testament era. Well, I can understand that. You know, I, uh, I deal with uh, change regularly and such, but I don't have to like it, right, just because I have to deal with it. And, the, and particularly if it comes to a, a long-held belief. I, uh, I, I, I have trouble letting go of that. For example, uh, many of you know that uh, Lori and I recently moved from uh, Texas where we had lived for uh, over 37 years, uh, the great state of Texas, and now we're in Alabama. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, when I lived in Texas, uh, I had a, a, a Texan-sized ego about Texas. I can't get that same oomph about Alabama, you know. Uh, it just isn't there for me. I, it just does, doesn't work for me. Uh, and so uh, I still really think of myself as a Texan. Now, I don't go around proclaiming it in Alabama, but uh, I still think of myself as a Texan. I just can't let go of that because it's a 37-plus year uh, situation, you know, belief that I had. That I, well, and I'll tell you, even when I was born and raised in Mississippi, I knew I was a Texan. I, I remember reading those uh, Western books, you know, and, and the cowboys and, and the horses and all of this, and I knew I was a Texan. I was just born in the wrong place. But by spirit, by heart, I was a Texan. I knew that. And so uh, for me to not be in Texas anymore, it really is a little bit hard uh, for, for me to, and I I'm just haven't let go of that. Well, the Jews were the same way about their uh, Jewish way of doing things. Uh, and, and how that uh, all of these things that some that God had put into place, some that man had put into place, that was the right way to go. And so it's hard 
it was especially hard at that time to bring Jews into a, a, a sanctuary with Gentiles and for them to have an understanding. You can just imagine. The Jews are like, well, God chose us. God gave these things to us. You ought to listen to us. Our way of doing it is the right way of doing it, right? And the Gentiles over here, and they, they've not been part of the Jewish culture, part of the Jewish religion at all, and they're coming in, and they don't understand all of that, and it doesn't make sense to them, uh, all of these things that the Jews have lived with was for centuries. And so, uh, and, and Paul uh, is, is teaching them, and Peter is teaching them something uh, different, although Peter had a little trouble with it as well, uh, laying these things aside. Uh, and, but Paul is trying to, uh, to make them understand that, that we're in a different era. We have shifted from era one, and now we are in era two, right? And Paul is trying to make them understand that. That is the context of the book of Ephesians, of the letter to the church at Ephesus. And it really is the context of several of Paul's letters, truth be told, uh, because there was this mixture. And as you know, I'm sure uh, th- there, was, there was just this this all uh, this permanent clash it seemed like this constant not permanent but constant clash uh, between uh, the, those who wanted to hold on to the old Jewish ways and those who wanted to move into and, and do things different and then in addition to that a lot of these Gentiles were coming out of a false god theology uh, you know that a lot of them they had their their Greek gods and goddesses that they had worshipped right and and such and uh, and they were coming out of that and they wanted to kind of that was their f- frame of reference was how they worshipped Diana or uh, or Mars or uh, you remember Mars Hill Mars or whoever and that was their frame of reference these two cultures come in and they're trying to work things out. So that they understand what it is that Jesus has implemented and instituted and brought in when he comes to earth uh, as the Messiah. Okay, does that all make sense? Because that's very important in understanding most of the New Testament is to understand this clash that is going on and this, you know, this friction that occurs in uh, in these groups that have come in, so Paul writes this letter to Ephesus. Now uh, he is writing from uh, prison, and uh, and he's wanting them to know what uh, uh, he's reminding them of what they have been taught. So Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now I'm reading from chapter one. We my objective is to get to chapter three. Now, if we don't do it this morning, maybe we'll do it this afternoon. If we don't do it this afternoon, maybe we'll do it tomorrow. Uh, you know, we'll just have to see how it all works out. So Paul is writing here the church at Ephesus. And, and chapter 1, especially the first half of chapter 1, is a, is a scripture that we are very familiar with. And we ha- hold dear and, and hang on to it, right? Uh, it's, it's an old Baptist lollipop is what it is. And Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And now remember, he's writing here to a mixed group of people. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. 
So the Jews are saying, yeah, God chose the Israelites. That's, that's their mindset. And the Gentiles are wondering, what is he talking about? Is he, is he really saying this about the Jews? Uh, what, what's going on here? Well, Paul, anticipating this, this distinction and this uh, conflict that's going on, is going to get to that over in chapter 2. And if you'll hold, uh, follow along with me, we'll get there as quickly as we can. But uh, uh, he's saying, look, God has chosen us. Now, he didn't say God has chosen the Jews. He didn't say God has chosen the Gentiles. He used an, an inclusive term by saying us, according as God hath chosen us. Paul knows that he's writing to a group of mixed people here, a, a congregation that has uh, Jews and Gentiles and probably Samaritans as well. Uh, he has uh, all these different uh, groups, and, and he's using this inclusive term. He says uh, that God has chosen us inclusively in him, and he did so before the foundation of the world, that we, there's another inclusive term, that we, all of us, should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us, and there's that third inclusive term he's using uh, for a third time there, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Now the Jews understand that they were the children of God. They were the family of God. They understood about that. But again, Paul is using this inclusive language here, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, by Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants to emphasize that this is, and remember last night we talked about Jesus Christ being the conduit for all of these blessings that God has given unto us. And so he's predestinated us unto the adoption of children using that conduit of Jesus Christ to himself. And he did so according to good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us, again, inclusive term, accepted in the beloved. Now let me tell you that in reading the scriptures, in reading the scriptures, this is the most important, the primary, the, the, uh, the ultimate use and, and context of the word accept. Because we, we hear a lot of uh, churches and Christians and preachers nowadays talking about accept, accept, accept. And they're talking about mankind accepting God. Right. Well, I hope I don't offend here. Now I've got Brother Steve really sitting on the edge of the pew up here. God doesn't give a flying flip about what your thoughts are compared to what his thoughts are. Right? What's most important is what God thinks about things, not what we think about things. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so what does God say? God says, look, it's not that whether you're going to accept me, but rather that I have made you accepted in the blood. Now that that context there, that that thought there, that, that communication, what he's communicating is not only... Have I accepted you, but in order to accept you, I have also made you acceptable. 
You, you've been, uh, I've changed you to where you are in an acceptable condition. Have you ever went to buy something and, and you look at it and you think, that's just not acceptable? You know, I, as by now, most of you know my mind is very strange how it works. And what my mind went to just now was, was a, a, a can of peas in a grocery store that is bent, that has been crushed. And, and I heard years ago, don't ever buy a can that's been bent, right? Uh, and, and so, so uh, I look at a can and it's, it's got a dent in it. And I say, well, that's not acceptable. And I put it back, right? Well, of course, if we were all cans of peas, God would look at us and he would say, you're all dented. And not only that, you're dented to the point that the contents on the inside are totally corrupt. And so we're all together unacceptable. And God comes in and he makes us acceptable. He, he does his miracle and he makes us acceptable. And so we are in, a, in an acceptable condition now. And he receives us. He accepts us. He has made us accepted in the blood. And so, uh, in, and in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And, and he goes on with this, of course, uh, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of, the, of his glory. And, and, and so on. So, Paul, uh, here in chapter 1, he has used this inclusive language to establish, to set the, the precedence, the foundation that whether you're Jew or Gentile or somewhere in between, that, that God has chosen his people, his, the ones he, he wanted to, he has chosen them before the foundation of the world, even though they were unacceptable, he chose them before the foundation of the world to become acceptable and to be accepted in Jesus Christ. That is, through the conduit, through the work of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul wants to establish here. He then says in the beginning of chapter 2, And you... You, and again, this is a, uh, a comprehensive, uh, all-inclusive uh, uh, word here. And you, not, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, not just the Samaritans, but everybody is writing to here. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the importance in the context of this message this morning, the importance of that verse is... That Paul is condemning everybody unilaterally, no matter what their heritage, no matter what their ancestry, no matter who they were. He is saying to everybody, all of you together in the same way, in the same manner, were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now, I can imagine that there were probably some Jews who were thinking, now, wait a minute. I wasn't quite as dead as old brother John over here. Uh, and and uh, by the way, we're glad to have brother John. We, we, we're going to start calling him Lazarus though. 
And I'm not going to tell you why, but he was dead, and now he's back alive again. You can ask him about that later. But uh, we're glad to have and, and And the Jews might be saying, well, you know, I'm, I was, I'm not as dead as old brother John. I'm a little bit more alive. No. I mean, dead is dead, right? Uh, there's no categorizations of dead. The, you know, you're not a class one dead or a class two dead or a class three dead, right? You, you just dead or not. And it's kind of like the on-off switch, you know. There, there's no dimmer on, on it. It's just on or off. And so he says, you all are dead in trespasses and in sins, wherein in time past ye... Now, that's a old way of saying all y'all. You know, it's ye, it just means all y'all. So, all y'all walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now, that would rub the Jews the wrong way. That would rub them the wrong way because they would be thinking, now, wait a minute, we're not like the rest of the world. God chose the Israelites. Remember, God chose the Israelites. Well, yeah, but you've got to remember, era one, phase one, the Old Testament era, all of that, types and shadows. Now we're in era two. Our enlightenment should be uh, greater in this, in this way. And this, this is something that I just thought of, and that is in the Psalms. Several of the Psalms, in the title of it up, up at the top, you will read the word ascent. A-S-C-E-N-T. You know, not a cent, like, wow, that is, that, that is a cent that I really like. You know, uh, that perfume you're wearing. Not that, but ascent, like in going higher. You know what you never see in the title of the Psalms is this is a descent. You never that's the objective of God's continuing. This is this is important in understanding uh, chapter three, if I ever get there. And, and it's important. All of this from from time beginning with Adam and Eve until now. God continues to reveal himself more and more. And as he does, we are ascending into greater understanding. Now, some people would call that greater enlightenment. We don't, we kind of shy away from that term enlightenment because it it gives a sense of um, metaphysical type stuff or what have you. But let me tell you, uh, when, when the light is glowing brighter, then there is enlightenment. So I'm okay with that terminology. We're becoming more enlightened as we understand God more. And that's what, as we study the scriptures, that's what we desire to do is to understand God more. In fact, that is one of the stated objectives, right? Hebrews, at the end of Hebrews chapter 5, the the, the writer says, uh, when you should be teachers, you're needing the bottle again, Right? You, you should be able to eat strong meat, but instead you're, you're stuck on uh, the, the milk. And, and so he's condemning them for that. Peter uh, uh, at one point says that we should grow in grace and in the knowledge. 
of Jesus. And so uh, it's all about understanding more and more. That's our objective. Uh, Paul uh, wrote to Timothy, study, why? To show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. Uh, he also says to Timothy that uh, uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God, what? Is going to grow, can be made better. It, we're, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, uh, we're moving toward perfection is what Ephesians 4. So we want to understand more uh, and more. And, and the, 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 the Jews of that day, I, I could understand why they would be thinking because this is all new to them. And they would be thinking, now wait a minute, it, it's hard for me to, to from, a, from a relationship of God, from the point of being a child of God, it's hard for me as being a part of the group that God has been blessing with all these, you know, amazing things, these oracles in the temple and the priesthood and all that, it's hard for me to then just say, okay, you Gentiles, come on in, without treating them as second-class Christians. And Paul is addressing that here in the book of Ephesians. He says, among, among whom also we all, we all had our conversation. Now, conversation here means our lifestyle, our, uh, the way that we live, the way that we act, in the, and, and, yeah, including the way we talk. Among whom, that is among the world, we all had our conversation in time past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, and we were by nature the children of wrath. And the Jews at this point said, wait a minute, we're the children of God. No, Paul says, in times past, in the original, you know, as, as you were after Adam and Eve sinned, your nature was such. That you were the children of wrath. You were not the children of God. All of us were in the same boat. And that boat had a hole in it and was sinking. Right? And and actually had sunk and we had all died. And you who were dead, you were dead. Uh, so, so that's in these first three verses here in chapter 2. Paul is establishing we're all of the same condition. We're all in the same situation. We, we all have the same nature. We're all the same. And then he says, but God. One of our favorite phrases in Scripture, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Again, a, an inclusive term. He continues with this in, in, inclusivity. Even when we, an inclusive term, were dead in sins, hath quickened us, an inclusive term, together, emphasizing the inclusiveness of it, that it's all the same, we're all being treated the same by God. Even when we were dead in sins, that God hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace, you're saved. So, uh, 
you see this, what Paul is doing here, right? That in the midst of, of transitioning from phase one to phase two, Old Testament to New Testament, uh, the natural focus on the natural physical things to a, a focus on the, the supernatural spiritual things that Paul is, is saying, as he told the Corinthians, uh, God has opened the door for this message to go to the Gentiles because the message applies to the Gentiles as well. And so here is, here is that door opening. And hath raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come that in the ages to come now what he's talking about here is in the future so that in the future however long that future may go he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward not just Jews but also Gentiles toward us through Christ Jesus for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works lest any man should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them oh boy I have a feeling this is going into the afternoon that in that, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped. Um, wherefore, remember. Wherefore. So Paul is using this. I hope y'all can join us over at Old Brick this afternoon because we're going to have to finish up this this afternoon and you won't want to miss it. Not because I'm the one preaching it, although that's always kind of a thrill, but I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. Uh, but because of this wonderful lesson that Paul brings out in Ephesians chapter 3. You won't want to miss it. So, where was it? Wherefore, Paul says the wherefore. We've gone through, we've gotten the context. We understand the overall broad context. We understand the more narrow context in the church uh, at Ephesus that it has Jews, it has Gentiles, it has uh, uh, those that are in between. And Paul is writing here and he's, uh, he's, he's bringing them together as a people and saying there's not distinctions between the Jews and the non-Jews, but instead... We are all children of God as God has chosen us into him before the foundation of the world. And he's, he's using this. So with all of that, bringing these uh, concepts of inclusivity in, he says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Now with this, he's going to give a message to both groups the Jews and the non-Jews, but he's going to do it by focusing on the non-Jews, the Gentiles, and showing what God has done for them so that indirectly the Jews will understand that they are all one. 
So Gentiles over here, they may be thinking, they probably are, some of them probably are thinking, well, now wait a minute, you know, as, as, just as the Jews are having a hard time understanding the inclusion of the Gentiles, the Gentiles are also having a hard time understanding their inclusion in with the Jews. They, they, they're having a difficult time understanding, well, if I wasn't born a Jew, how can I be a child of God? Why are they thinking that? Because for centuries, it was the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and God, right? And now the Gentiles are having to shift their understanding as well. Many years ago, uh, the, the buzzword was uh, that you would have a paradigm shift, you remember that? Some of you remember having a, a shifting your paradigm. So um, in today's world, uh, a business world, uh, it's all about moving your cheese. Now I want to know, I'm just curious, do a little poll here. How many of you have read or at least heard of the book, uh, Who Moved My Cheese? Okay, several of you, that's good. Well, what it's all about is, is look, change, change, change happens. This is in the business world. Change happens. Your cheese is going to be moved. So instead of sitting there fretting over why your cheese isn't going to be at the same place as it used to be, go find the cheese, right? And, and so, well, let me tell you, the cheese of the Gentiles and the cheese of the Jews is being moved by Paul. It's being moved. And they've got to understand that this is not the Old Testament cheese anymore. We've now got New Testament cheese. I never thought I would say that from a pulpit, but there it is. We've got New Testament cheese. And we've got to, to move to where that cheese is. And that's what Paul is getting them to do. Boy, I love this. So he, he says, Wherefore remember that being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, you Gentiles who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Now let's unpack this a little bit. The Gentiles were called uncircumcised. Why? Because circumcision was given to the Jews as an act of religion and obedience to God. And, and, and so that was a Jewish thing. And so the Jews would scoffingly call the Gentiles the uncircumcised. They were, that, that was a derogatory term. And Paul here knows this. And he's saying to them, I know that you have been called uncircumcised. And the ones who called you uncircumcised in a derogatory way are those who were circumcised. That is the Jews. But then he sticks in this little tidbit. Now this is one of those diamonds we talked about last night. That, that we're going to find in the field of the scriptures. This, this is a diamond. Because he slips in there and he makes it a point. That they were the circumcision in the flesh, and it was done by hands. Now we sing a song, Christ went a building to prepare, not made with hands. Because in the New Testament era, we understand that it's not the natural, but the spiritual. We understand that it's that it's not the, the temple that is made out of rock, but rather the temple that is founded upon the rock. 
right? And so, uh, and so it's not made with hands. Paul here slips in this little nugget. Yeah, they're the circumcised, but their circumcision is only of the flesh. Only of the flesh. In other words, it's only skin deep. And that's not the circumcision that really counts. That circumcision itself is only symbolic of something that is spiritual. And what is that? As we see in other scriptures, it is the circumcision of the heart. And so uh, Paul here slips in this. Yeah, they're the circumcised, but they, and, and so indirectly he's telling the Jews, don't get all high and mighty about your circumcision because it's only the skin. It's not the spirit. It's only the skin. It's not the heart. It's only symbolic. And, and so uh, being circumcised in the flesh isn't what got you into a relationship with God. Right? And so um, he says that. And that at that time you were without Christ. You were without Christ. Now, do we see Christ in the Old Testament? Sure we do. We see Christ in the Old Testament. But the focal point for the Jews was not Christ. The focal point for the Jews was God, as we would say, God the Father. But they didn't use that terminology, God the Father. They used the terminology uh, of, of Lordship, yes, of Yahweh. But it wasn't a, a terminology of relationship of Father and Son. It was... Uh, it, they were more of, okay, that's God. That's a distant God. He, he is God, but didn't really think of him as father at that point. And they sure didn't think about Christ. You, you don't see the, the Jewish literature talking about Christ. Even though they were anticipating and expecting a Messiah, you don't see Jewish literature Focusing on that, but instead they focus on these natural things uh, and natural uh, physical things. So, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Now, Paul is... Focusing on the Gentiles. Remember, he shifted over to the Gentiles uh, up there in verse 11. He focused over to, to, on them. To focus, but in focusing on them, he's also teaching the Jews something as well. And he's, he's saying to the Gentiles, you, you, were un, you were the uncircumcision. You were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You didn't have hope. You didn't have God in this world. And some of the more legalistic Jews, you can just hear them saying, Amen, about those Gentiles. Amen. You Gentiles, uncircumcised. You didn't have God. You didn't have the orcs. You didn't have the covenant. You didn't, the promise wasn't made to you. You can hear those legalistic Jews saying, Amen. Now, 
those legalistic Jews wished Paul would quit writing his letter at this point so that they could end on that. However, Paul didn't stop writing his letter. And remember, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And this is, therefore, the word, not just of Paul, but it is the word of God. Written down, uh, dictated, whatever, by Paul. Right? And he doesn't stop there. In fact, there is, in our Bible, not a period, but a colon to show that there is going to be an additional thought tagged onto this. And remember, this is communication. You Gentiles, you didn't have God, but now, I like those words, but now, there is a change. When you say, but such and such, right? I, I, I know boss person I know that I'm late to work but and here it comes right I I know that I didn't do it right but and usually after that word you're looking to blame some external person or circumstance as to uh, as to what it is now believe me I you know Lori and I've been married for uh, going on 38 years, and I understand about uh, me being wrong about things throughout those 38 years, but now the you know it's but I'm a man, but I'm a husband, you know. We there's there's pretty low bar when it comes to you know. So there's always something I want to blame it on, right? And so that's, Paul doesn't take it that way. He, he does take it, though, in the way of a change. Well, in fact, I have heard and read of miracles of God. Oh, my. It's almost noon, folks. Uh, miracles of God, like somebody, they're going down the road, and their car skids out of control. Everything, they're totally without any control whatsoever and they're headed toward a cliff but then something happens and the car catches traction and it goes and they don't go off the cliff. This is similar but even better because Gentiles, you Gentiles were out of control, were without hope There was no way that you were going to do anything but crash and burn. But God intervened. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are now made nigh or close by the blood of Christ. And that's what the change, we've got to change now, right? And, and that message is to the Gentiles, but the Jews are hearing it as well. That yes, the Jews were uncircumcised, without hope, without God, uh, all this stuff. But now, because of Jesus Christ, now those who were far off have been brought close. Those who had no relationship with God now have a relationship with God. They're brought nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ 
For he is, and here comes the inclusive language again, he is our peace together. He is our peace. Not just the peace for the ones on this side or the peace for the ones on this side. Now he is our peace, right? He is our peace. Who hath made both one. Made both one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between the two sides. So now it's no longer Jew and Gentile. It is instead now, as we say today, we are Christians. We're Christians. Right? We are part of the family of God. We are the elect, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace. He's brought you together. And so... Now you're just not, you know, one side and one side, but instead you're brought together as one. Yesterday, Brother Steve and I uh, were going around and, uh, and taking care of some things and such, and I knew that I wasn't likely to go back, or there was a good chance I wasn't going to go back to Steve's place to, to be able to change. So I went ahead and put my good shoes on and my good pants on, and I, and I took my shirt and tie and coat and put it in the car, you know. And, and so I was ready from the waist down, but I wasn't ready from the waist up. And, uh, and I said, well, the bottom half of me is ready, but not the top half, right? Well, eventually I, I got to change, put on my shirt and tie and my coat and, and, and get to look all snazzy for you folks. And, and the whole person was ready at that point. We see God has brought both together. And, and so that we're, we're ready now. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity and, and, and such, making one so that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and also to them which were not. Both groups were preaching peace, peace between the two groups and peace between uh, those and God himself preaching peace. For through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but rather fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, it took all this time to emphasize what the thought process was, what the conditions were, what the mindset uh, was uh, uh, of 
of the Jews and the Gentiles and the history and bringing it in and, and transitioning from old to new, transitioning from uh, before Christ to now after Christ. And we took all this time to, to do so and to emphasize that we are all now one. And Paul then is going to, in chapter 3, which uh, if, if the Lord wills, we'll see this afternoon, uh, uh, about just exactly how amazing that is.